Well, isn't it wonderful to know that we serve a God who is in the business of restoration? Amen? Not only does God restore, but he loves to do it. He loves to restore lives. He loves to restore hearts. He rescues, he redeems, and he restores. And listen, no matter where you might be today, and you might just be feeling like, man, Jamie, my life is a mess. My family is a mess. My marriage is a mess. I, I, I have this addiction. I can't shake it. I, I don't know what to do. Or maybe you're just saying, Jamie, I feel apathetic towards the things of the Lord. My life feels spiritually dry. Well, here's the thing, guys. No matter how deep you feel in it, know if you take one thing away this morning, know that he loves you with all his heart. Know that he loves you. You are loved by the creator of the universe. He loves you. He loves you individually. How often we think of God's love as, as a whole, as all of us together. He loves you individually. If that's the one thing you can hang on to as you walk to your car and you go, God who created all of this loves me, cares for me, wants to be involved in my life. Hang on to that. He loves you and I. He's so gentle. God is so kind. You know what I love is God knows you and I so intimately. Hebrews 4.13 says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Our lives are wide open. Listen, we can hide things from each other. You can't hide anything from God. He knows you. Does that bring you comfort? I should bring you comfort. If you're like, ooh, his eyes are ever upon me. It should comfort you. Because in spite of all of our shortcomings, in spite of all of our sin, in spite of all of our shame, he goes, I love you still. And he went to the cross. He looked at us in that just so tenderly going, I want to go to the cross for them. There was never a point in time, this is amazing, that Jesus goes, that's not worth it. That's too much. And we know who we are. And he even more so. And then he looks at you and I and he goes, you're worth it. You're worth it. He knows where you are this morning. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he knows exactly what you need. And he's willing to meet you right where you are. That's your Lord and Savior. He'll meet you where you are today. You just have to turn to him. The depth of his love towards us is truly immeasurable. Last week, you were in Joel chapter 2. We'll be there today too. 
You, know, you looked at a call to repentance. It was in verses 12 and 13, and it called the nation of Israel, it calls us to a surrendering of our whole heart. He actually says, and rend your heart to the Lord. And that rending of the heart is because he said, I don't need you to tear any more clothing. I don't need you to go through all the religious motions. I want your heart. That's what the Lord wants from each and every one of us. He's not interested in the externals. He simply wants our heart. And who is it that we surrender to? Verse 13 says, we surrender and come to a Lord who is gracious, who is merciful, who is slow to anger and full of kindness. Think about what you're surrendering to. You surrender to a gracious God, to a merciful God, one who doesn't have a desire to be angry at you who is full of kindness. Kindness is what marks him. And oh, how the enemy loves to keep us crippled and in a place where we feel like it's impossible for our lives to be put back together. That's what the enemy does. He goes, that can't be fixed. That mess that you've created... That mess in your marriage, that mess in your family, that mess in your life, you walking on that road of addiction, that can't be fixed. It's too much. I'm going to tell you this morning that there is no life so broken that Jesus can't mend and restore it. There's no life. And my life is a testimony of that. I know when you walked in here and sat down, you took a look at me, you go, seminary student. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> you didn't think seminary student, huh? You're right, I didn't go to seminary. I was a drug addict. And then in the Lord, in his kindness, and looking at me, did the only logical thing that anybody would think the Lord said, do you know what that 19-year-old boy who is a complete mess needs? He needs an elderly couple. And that's what the Lord gave me. An elderly couple to show me the love of Christ. They modeled who Jesus was in the Bible. I failed a drug test working for them. They let me work all summer. They were supposed to fire me. And then at the end of that summer, they had me over to the house before I was heading back to school. Do you know what school I was going to? Big shocker. Liberty. Yeah, I was at Liberty. And they had me over for dinner. And while I sat there at the table, Loretta looked at me and she goes, you know, you failed your drug test. And I was like, yep, I was pretty sure I did. I said, why didn't you fire me? And she goes, Jamie, we felt like people had given up on you your entire life. And we couldn't do it to you again. So I looked and I said, what do you want me to do? Whatever you want, just tell me what you want me to do. And you know what they said? She said, read the Gospel of John. That was it. That was the only requirement for my life at that point in time. Read the Gospel of John. And as I read the Gospel of John over the next couple of months, and as I looked at the life of Jesus, look at the life of Jesus, look at these people who loved me, and it looked the same. It was real, and I wanted that. 
And the Lord used that to restore my life. Because here I am, now 20 some years later, we don't need to get into the details of the age and time, but I get to be here and share what the Lord's done and not only what he has done in my life, what he wants to do with your life, that he can rescue you, redeem you, and restore you to his good purposes. That's who our Lord is. That's why I love Ephesians 3.20. Hang on to this one. When do you think of the Lord as a restorer? It says, Jesus is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's who our Lord is. He does above and beyond all that you think. And many times we've had that thought in our own life. We're like, Lord, if you could just get my life to here, that would be great. Lord, if you could just get my marriage back to here, that would be great. Lord, my family, look at it. If we could just get it back to here, that would be great. And then the Lord says, or I can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask or think. Ask it. Ask it. Ask that for your family. Ask that for your marriage. Ask that for your life. Lord, do a work, because it's going to be a good work. Well, Joel paints a beautiful picture of how when God restores... He goes exceedingly above and beyond. We're just going to read one small section. Joel 2, the first part of verse 25. And it says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. I will restore the years to you that have been destroyed. When you think of restoration... What do you think? For me, as I just begin to think of restoration, I think of restoring a car, uh, restoring art. Maybe you got an old piece of furniture that you're like, I don't like it, I'm gonna make it look better. And the idea most of the time when we think of restoration is taking something that's old and doing what? Restoring it to its original state. That's not what we read here, though. God's restoration looks different. Look what it says. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust eaten. That's looking back to where you are. And then it's bringing in all those things you thought you lost. You never lost them. I'm just going to double up the blessing on this side of the restoration. It's restored to something better. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Have you ever looked back at a season of life or in a moment in life where you're just like, man, I can't get those years back? I did that. After I came to the Lord, I could look back and go like, man, I cannot get those years back. As a mom or dad, sometimes you look at your relationship with your kids and you can go, man, I cannot get those years back with my children. Maybe you're married and you've looked at that too within your own marriage. You're like, man, there were some years that I just, I can't get back. Maybe you're just simply looking at the fact that you just lived for yourself. And the Spirit is stirring your heart 
to think of the time that you wasted not living for the Lord. Because every day that we draw breath, we have such an opportunity to live for him. But look at the promise that we have here. We see his wonderful grace and mercy as he and only he can do. He will restore the years that the locusts destroyed. And listen, when locusts eat, they devastate, they ravage, they devour everything, and they leave a land desolate. But God restores the barrenness of our lives with abundant blessing when we turn our lives wholly back to him. God doesn't break out the eyedropper and start giving his blessings. He pours them out in your life. He showers you with his blessing and his love and his grace and his mercy. And listen, we can't get the time back Don't read this verse and think, sweet, I could get years back time-wise. You can't get the time. But the blessing that restoration brings can be restored above and beyond what was lost. I have a good friend um, who was married, got divorced, had a kid, was unsaved, came to the Lord, The Lord restored their marriage. They now have three children and they serve the Lord all over the world. The Lord restored those years. What looked like was impossible, the Lord brought back together. You just need to let the Lord do the work. He's willing to work in your hearts, in your lives. This isn't just a promise we read and we go, oh, that's great for somebody else. But we see this fulfilled all through the Bible. And so what we're going to do is just take some time. We're just going to look at examples of restoration because it applies to all of us. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 5. You're more than welcome to follow along or you can just listen. Some stories will probably sound familiar, maybe all. But in Mark chapter 5, we have the woman that suffered with the infirmity of a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years she suffered, and it says she spent all of her livelihood. Did she get better? No, she got worse. And I began to just think about that. If I have a cold for like a week, I'm like, all these things are against me. 12 years she suffered. And she couldn't participate In any religious activity, there was nothing. You need to understand she would have been removed from the society because of her uncleanness. Can you imagine how that affected family life, her spiritual life, just life in the community? And she's lost everything along the way. And then she hears Jesus. And this is always the key. Jesus stepping in. Jesus is there. If I could only touch the hem of of his garment. And she touched the hem of his garment and she was restored. She was restored, 12 years restored to her life. In Mark chapter 9, we have a father 
who had a demon-possessed son. And Jesus had gone up on the mountain. He was away. So they brought him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't do anything. Then Jesus came down, and everything's brought to his attention. And Jesus is having a conversation with this father. And the father tells him, he's like, man, he's been like this since he was a kid. And you just think about that. If you're a parent and stuff here today, you know, those are some sweet years to be able to watch your kids grow up. Can you imagine since he was a child? Demon-possessed. And some of you are thinking, well, I've got a kid too. And not the same. And this child, do you think people want to have a play date with this family? Not a chance. He doesn't have friends, his dad, how this would have affected the family, life in the community. He's all alone. He's watched his son gnashing his teeth, foaming at the mouth, throwing himself in the fire, throwing himself in the water. Every day as a father go, when? When is the last day that I'm going to have with my son? When's going to be that last thing? Can you imagine just the exhaustion and the tiredness? And he comes to Jesus. And what does he tell Jesus? Oh, I believe, but help my unbelief. And what I love is Jesus goes, that's enough. That little bit of faith you had, I can work with that. And Jesus took that little bit of faith and rescued that boy. And that boy was restored to his father. Can you imagine the years after? As he's there with his son and can look back, as he's completely in his mind, and looking back to the time that Jesus touched his life, that Jesus didn't just do that for his son, but he did that for them. Because the father in the story cries, help us. Not just help him. There's that plea. There's that heaviness that he's carried with his own son. Please help us. And Jesus worked with just a little faith. In Luke 15, another very familiar story, the prodigal son. Prodigal son was, was not the oldest son. He was the younger. And one day as he's out there, he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done with this farming thing, Dad. I would like my inheritance now. And the father didn't. He granted and he gave it to him. And he went off and he went into the world and he lived as worldly as possible, wasted, squandered his entire inheritance and then we find him later on when he has nothing. And he's feeding pigs. And as he's putting the slop into their, their troughs, he's like, that looks pretty good. Now, I've never fed a pig. I've seen how they live. But I don't think I've ever envied what they eat. So you've got to be pretty low at that point in time where you look at that and that looks good. And then he has this moment of clarity. And he says, the servants in my father's house have it better than I do right now. And he says, I'm going home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to repent. 
I'm going to seek my father's forgiveness for all that I've done, for the sin, for the shame that I brought upon our family. And I know that I'm not worthy to be a part of the family anymore, but I'm just going to ask my dad, please just let me be a hired servant. And what happens when he arrives near home? And who is the father a picture of? That's our heavenly father. And as he arrives near home, it says, the father saw him coming. I love that. And I love it because it tells us two things. It tells us that the father was already looking and that he was always looking. The father never took days off from looking for the return of his son. That's our heavenly father. If you've gone astray, if there are things going on and you've been separated from him, when you make that turn, he's already looking at you. His eye is upon you. He hears your cry. He hears your plea. That's who he is. He sees him. And then what does it say? He ran to him. He didn't stand there like, I can't wait for him to get here so I can tell him I told you so. He sees the son. His heart is filled with compassion and he runs. The son doesn't run. The father runs. And he falls on his neck and he kisses him. He has a servant come and he says, go get him a robe. No, get him my best robe. Put a ring on his finger. He goes, look, he's barefoot. He didn't even have shoes. He goes, I need some new sandals for my son. And what else should we do this evening? Let's throw him a feast. He celebrated the return of his son. And here's what's beautiful. He didn't restore him to a servant. He restored him as a son. When we are restored to the Lord, we never are not sons and daughters. We maintain that. That's how much he loves you. That's my boy. That's my girl. I love them. He cares for you. He's restored as a son. My son was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. When we go astray, the Lord's eye is ever upon us, and he's just looking and waiting for your return. And his heart is full of compassion towards you and I. And when we come to him with a repentant heart, he runs to us and he restores us. He will run to you and restore you. And he showers us with all the grace and mercy and he envelops us in his love. Well, lastly, and we'll end here, and probably the most famous is Peter. Peter who on the night that Jesus was betrayed was having a conversation with Jesus and Jesus is like, hey, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. And he's like, nah, I don't think so. And he told Peter to pray. 
And then he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. He's like, I won't. You're going to deny me three times. He's like, no, actually, what I'll do is I'll die with you. And Peter makes that bold declaration. And then shortly after, what do we find? We find that Peter is denying Jesus three times, just as, uh, just as Jesus said. And Peter, realizing what he has done, and in Luke's account says that he and Jesus see one another. And Peter's broken. We can imagine the tender look of our Lord and Savior towards Peter in that moment. It wasn't the look of, I told you you would. It was tender. It was loving. And Peter ran out and he wept bitterly. And no doubt for Peter, that grievous action, in his heart, in his mind, he said, the Lord is surely done with me. How could the Lord ever use me again? I denied him three times. What could the Lord do with my life? And so where do we find Peter? We find Peter up around the Sea of Galilee doing what Peter knew how to do. We find Peter fishing in a boat. And he had an unsuccessful night of fishing. He's coming back in the morning. Jesus is on the shore. Here's a familiar statement. He says, hey, why don't you toss your net on the other side? In that moment, John realizes, like, that's the Lord. And what does Peter do? Peter jumps ship. Now, he swims. I don't know about you, but I feel like the boat is quicker. This is just my own opinion, but I feel like if you've ever swam in clothes, it's kind of slow going. So in my mind, I see Peter swimming and the boat's passing. But whoever got there first, we don't know. But Peter gets there. He gets to Jesus. And then he has that moment with him where Jesus says, do you love me? Three times. And we know by the third time that that was heavy. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the Lord restores even Peter. The Lord restored Peter. He not only restored Peter, he commissioned Peter. And so when we talk about the Lord's restoration, that he goes exceedingly above and beyond what we could think, read the book of Acts. Look at how the Lord used Peter from that moment after he had been restored. You don't have to go far. By the time you hit Acts chapter 2, you can see what the Lord's wanting to do. The church explodes. We serve a God that loves to restore. He is a God of restoration. I'd like the worship team to come. And here as we close, we're just going to take a time of worship. We're going to open up the front. And it's open for you just to simply come. And first, I just want to make just an invitation to those who don't have a relationship with the Lord. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it. And become a part of the family of God. You'll never regret that decision. 
The best life you will ever live is the life that you have in Jesus. And so if that you just come, be restored to your heavenly Father who loves you. He sent Jesus to die in your place so that you could live. John 3.17 says that Jesus did not come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. That's the heart of our Father. He wants to save it. He wants to rescue you and redeem you. And if you have not been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, come. But if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm a believer, but man, I have walked away from Jesus. Run to him. Run to him. Be restored into a right relationship with him. He loves you. Jesus loves you. And I want you to know, Jesus can break the chains of anything that's hanging on to you. There's no chain too long or too thick that Jesus can't handle. You just need to come and surrender it. And he will do the breaking. He loves to restore the broken. There's freedom in Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you're like, man, Jamie, I'm with the Lord, but I just feel dry. I'm just in a dry season. My desire for the Lord has grown cold. Come. Let him fill you afresh with his spirit. If you're here and you're just like, I want to see the Lord working anew in my family. I want to see the Lord working anew in my life. I want to see the Lord working anew in my marriage. Surrender. Come and surrender it to the Lord now. Our Lord can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And when he restores, he restores exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. Run to him. Amen.